Hello, I'm Kathleen. Welcome to our church podcast. Over the coming weeks, I will be sharing a little message, some questions to reflect on, and a prayer, as well as our daily posts on our Facebook page. Please keep in touch with us and check out our daily posts on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash South Parish and on our website, which is gifnockshouth.co.uk. Exodus 1, 1-22 These are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob, each with his household, Reuben, Simeon, Levi and Judah, Issachar, Zebulun and Benjamin, Dan and Naphtali, Gad and Asher. The total number of people born to Jacob was 70. Joseph was already in Egypt, and then Joseph died, and all his brothers, and that whole generation. But the Israelites were fruitful and prolific. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong, so that the land was filled with them. Now a new king arose over Egypt, who did not know Joseph. He said to his people, Look, the Israelite people are more numerous and more powerful than we. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, or they will increase and in the event of war, join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore they set taskmasters over them to oppress them with forced labour. They built supply cities, Pithom and Ramesses, for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread, so that the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites. The Egyptians became ruthless in imposing tasks on the Israelites and made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick and in every kind of field labour. They were ruthless in all the tasks that they imposed on them. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shifra and the other Pua, When you act as midwives to the Hebrew women and see them on the birthstool, if it's a boy, kill him, but if it is a girl, she shall live. But the midwives feared God. They did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but they let the boys live. So the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this and allowed the boys to live? The midwives said to Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes to them. So God dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and became very strong. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. And then Pharaoh commanded all his people, Every boy that's born to the Hebrews, you shall throw into the Nile, but you shall let every girl live. Amen. And may God add his blessing to this reading of his word. For as long as I've been a minister, I've used the lectionary for preaching. The lectionary is a three-year cycle of readings beginning with Advent and going through the seasons of the year. It's always seemed to be a faithful and effective way of guiding and grounding worship to me. Even in an ever-changing world, somehow there has always been something in the given texts which speak to the present moment. So ten days or so ago, when the seriousness of where we are now began to become unquestionably clear to me, I couldn't begin to get my head round it and how... I was going to move forward. I had no words. So, as you who know me well will know 
This is a major problem for someone whose entire call is rooted in finding and speaking words. Words which comfort, words which motivate, words which call to account, words which ground us in hope. And while I still find myself back there at times, and I expect I'll continue to at times before we find ourselves in a new and different place, I did find some meaningful and helpful direction from one who'd been in the reference to, in today's Exodus story, particularly meaningful in the midst of where we are today. And so it seems a good place for me to start. So join me in digging deep into this first chapter of the epic story of Exodus. What I love most about this story is that right at the start, even as the one who first recorded these ancient events captured them to be passed along in a written form, even here we get hints of the ending. Indeed, even as the writer sets the stage, simply defining the people of Israel who first lived in Egypt, we're reminded that God is on the side of life, that God is the origin and protector and provider of life. For as we hear, they multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. Early on, though, we start to hear how awful things have become for the Israelites. The new king didn't know, didn't remember, didn't care to recall who Joseph was and how the Israelites had come to live there at all. The new king is acting out of fear of the other. It seems to me that we're given no reason why he would issue such laws to oppress them. But what we do know is that fear is catching. What we do know is that once this pattern of oppression is in place, it's perpetuated by more and more people who are put in positions to use their power for harm and not for good. So what we do know is that in all of this, God is still at work. For the more the Israelites are oppressed, the more they keep multiplying and spreading. Now fear is catching. We've certainly seen this in our own communities where for the last 10 days, supermarket shelves are emptying faster than those who stack them can refill them. I wonder how has fear made itself visible where you are? Or have you seen signs of life in spite of that fear? On the other hand, I have seen amazing signs of life, especially in places where people have heard the call to care for the most vulnerable among us. For instance, I see it in the schools where they've continued to provide free meals and breakfasts for hungry children. I've seen it in an abundance of support for food banks, which have previously depended on older folk to volunteer and are now being helped by younger folk who now have some time and are giving back in this way. And yes, we've all seen it in nurses and doctors who step into and beyond their own fear and keeping and keep turning up for long shifts and doing what they always do to bring healing and comfort and hope to those who are ill and afraid. Back to the story. For this is where the story really starts to come alive. This is where we're invited to enter in and wonder at the experiences of a few key characters namely those lowly Hebrew women, Shifra and Pua. Of course, part of the irony in this bit of the story is the king of Egypt is not named, but the women are. Indeed, part of the wonder here is that the king of Egypt is taking time to personally speak to these Hebrew women to enlist their aid in his campaign of death. 
but Shifra and Pua have always been on the side of life. Their calling in the world was to be and to do the exact opposite of what the king demanded, and they weren't about to change their ways now, so they just kept doing what they'd always done, working alongside and with the powers of life. They kept on bringing new life into the world, and we could even say that life is given a name here, while death remains nameless. And yes, a favourite part of this story is that the women use the king's own bigotry to fool him. He already assumes that the Hebrew people are in their nature and being so very different from the Egyptian people. It seems to me that they tap into that bias as they describe the women as more vigorous and thus more able to easily and quickly give birth. They must have wanted to laugh all the way home when the king believed their lies and was forced to find other means to try to destroy those who frightened him so much. Of course, over the centuries, there are innumerable ways in which this story has been experienced as empowering, speaking to varied circumstances and experiences. Here are some I've noticed for this particular time and place. So we're now in lockdown, ordered by our government, although sure, not as severe as in other places in the world. For many folk, that order brings with it enforced loneliness and perhaps a loss of meaning as we wonder who we are and who we're called to be in a world where we cannot be and do things as we always have done. And yet, like Shifra and Pua, we are also named. And like Shifra and Pua, we have still been given a purpose. And that purpose is always on the side of life. Always and for now. At least in part. This means keeping a distance from others so that we might all have a chance of healthy life in the midst of the threat of a virus, which at first travels unseen, but when it finds a host, can have devastating consequences. But it's more than that, it seems to me, for even as we're physically apart, we can look for other ways to help life flourish. It may be in simple ways like picking up the phone to call, or dropping an actual note in the post, or yes, a text or an email to someone else in a similar circumstance or worse. I know some in our own congregation who takes one thing they're thankful for each day to a group of friends just to give each other a wee lift and remind them life is not all bad. Or maybe it means spending more intentional time in prayer for loved ones and strangers alike. And yes, it may mean in these first days of spring, spending part of a sunny day outside, raking away the ravages of winter and being reminded that life and hope are still right here at our fingertips. Life and hope, which not only sustains us, but can also be passed along to others. And through it all, we do so knowing from this ancient story that God is always on the side of life and we seek to live lives which give evidence that this is so. So what might this look like for you in a strange and sometimes frightening time? In a time when we're forced to do things in new and different ways, how else might we live into the same life-filled purpose to which we, like Shifra and Pua, have been called? How does the first chapter of this ancient story speak in the place and time where you live? How might this old story 
offer meaning and help define this time for you. Like all of us, I, of course, can't see into the future. However, it's my strong sense that we will find ourselves here in this in-between place for some time. I am so very grateful for all of you as we join together, trying to see our way into our next steps together. Please take a moment to let me know how you are and what this time is bringing to you, what you're grateful for, what you find you need and what you're learning along the way. In this uncertain time, may you also find comfort and strength in these ancient stories, especially as they remind us again and again that God is on the side of life, always. So let's join our wee time together this morning with a prayer. Let's pray. Keep us, good Lord, under the shadow of your mercy in this time of uncertainty and distress. Sustain and support the anxious and the fearful and lift up all who are brought low that we may rejoice in your comfort knowing that nothing can ever separate us from your love. In Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. <music> 